We're in a series called Uncommon Influencers. And the deal behind this Uncommon Influencers series, frankly, is that God has called us as the church, as people of Jesus, to be influencers for Jesus. Now, a lot of times when we think about influence, um, we think about the person with the position or with the power or with the opinion. But what we've talked about every week is the person who influences for Jesus, influences people for Jesus as they serve people like Jesus served. That we aren't to be people who just simply leverage our power and our authority and our position, but we are to be people who are adding value, who are serving the world and the community around us, and by nature of adding value, we build influence with people. The people who are most influential in your life are the people who probably added the most value to your life. We could all say that's collectively true. But what happens is we're in this mini-series right now on resilience. Because... For me, to influence anything means I'm trying to move something from point A to point B. And we talked about Newton's first law of motion, that an object at rest wants to stay at rest and an object at motion wants to stay at motion unless an outside force imposes that force upon it, which will always be met with resistance. In the influencing, it by nature creates resistance. And to be successful in the the face of resistance takes resilience. And one of the things that all cultural commentators are all taking a step back and realizing is we as a people, as a country, and in fact, I would say specifically, we as churches oftentimes don't have the level of resiliency we ought to. Now, here's the problem with resilience. If I'm being totally honest, I was thinking about this last week post-sermon. The problem with resiliency and being resilient is we all know someone who needs to be more resilient, but none of us think we need to be more resilient. Right? Very few people woke up this morning and they're like, man, dude, I am just weak. Right? I mean, I'm like, like if I had one word to define myself, it would be a quitter. Like, like I just give up as soon as the opposition fit, you know, it hits me. I'm just like, oh, you know, whatever. I don't even want to do anything. You know, I jumped, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm constantly, you know, not facing this sense of resistance. I'm not resilient as a person. Very few of us see that in the mirror. But for many of us, it's true, it just takes a little digging to get there. Let me me just poke specifically at Christians for a little bit. How many of us have started to read the Bible in a year and quit after 90 days? Think about that. Like, I don't need necessarily more resilience, but man, life got busy. Like, I started with this spiritual objective. I started with this spiritual goal. I started with this spiritual thing that I was going to get to, this work that I feel like God was doing in my life and this thing that he had called me to, this kind of spiritual accomplishment. And I was working towards it, but then about 30 days in, 60 days in, 90 days in, I started to get behind a little bit, and life got busy, and exams happened, and COVID happened. I mean, how are we going to do anything in COVID, even though in COVID we normally have more time than we had before. It's a different sermon for a different day. But in the process, right, you started off with this grand thing, and it fell off. You started off, and you were going to join a group, or you joined a group. You realized you had time. And so you started joining this digital Zoom group. In the process of it, first 30 days were great, and the next 60 days were non-existent. In fact, we know this is true of group life just in general. When people join groups, we try to do our best to create something that adds enough value to the individual that they would want to come back. But inevitably, life gets busy. Projects come up at work. Things happen. And inevitably, we start off with great spiritual goals. But the normalcy of life kicks in. 
And we don't categorize that as resiliency. But let me ask you this. In the beginning of the month of August, how was that New Year's resolution about reading your Bible that you started in January? And I don't say that condemningly, because that's all of us. But that's kind of the point. Is for every one of us, we can start off as Christians with great spiritual goals, but in the middle of that, we meet some type of a resistance, and the resistance is oftentimes covert, the resistance is oftentimes busyness, the resistance is oftentimes a project, there's the resistance is oftentimes my kid didn't sleep last night, or my husband wouldn't stop snoring. I'm not going to tell you about which family that is, right? But, but, but I met some resistance, and that resistance eventually gave way to what I felt like God was calling me to do. So here's where we're going with this today. This is exactly where Nehemiah was. In the book of Nehemiah, he was called to build a wall. He was called to do something great for God. And like most people who feel like God has called them to do something, Nehemiah felt like God had called him to do something. He cast vision to the people. He planned it. He prayed about it. But about halfway through, it gets difficult. Anybody can start something. And anybody can end something. But the messy middle is where we need resiliency. The messy middle is where we have resistance. And the messy middle is where we often give up. And today I want to talk about the singular thing that I think if we implement will help us to become resilient people. So let me read this together in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 6, which is where we were, just to kind of give some context. He said, so we, this is Nehemiah talking about the, the whole group. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. We talked about that last, last week, but in terms of progress report, they're about halfway there. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and we set a guard as the protection against them day and night. So there's starting to be this external sense of, 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 of resistance. In Judah, verse 10, it was said, The strength of those who bear the burden is failing, and there is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we are among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions. The people come from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. You must return to us. And here was the problem, is there was this external existential threat, but internally there was this problem that they were halfway there. And the problem with halfway there is you still have a long way to go, but you're fatigued from how much you've done so far. This is why many of us who we know that God's calling us to overcome a particular sin in our life, we know that there's the sin of an addiction, there's the sin that, that I am, am facing a ton of pressure at work. And so every night, it's not that big of a deal, but every night what I do because I'm facing so much pressure at work is I have a tendency to go and to try to just take the edge off of that pressure by having a drink. For some of us, we try to escape that pressure through unhealthy vices like drinking or like pornography or like a whole slew of different things. 
And at some point, we make a prayer, and we say a prayer to God, God, I'm going to stop doing that. God, I feel like you're calling me to stop doing that. And many of us, the reason why we don't become the people that God has called us to become is because we started strong, but we messed up in the middle. We got defeated in the middle. We got discouraged in the middle. Some, some variables hit us in the middle. And in that messy middle, we were tired because of how much we had done. We were tired of fighting it because of how much we had done. But we knew we still had so far to go. And so Nehemiah faces the same problem that we face, just in a totally different context. That they're halfway done. They're tired. There's threats all around. And the tendency is always the tendency, which is the tendency to give up. And to just go back to life as normal. We're going to read what Nehemiah did, which shifts the focus of how he addressed it. They said, you must return to us. So here's what they did. Verse 13. In the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed people by their clans, and with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So Nehemiah sees the problem and he begins to address the problem with the next reasonable step, with the next logical step, with the next thing to do, which is, okay, there's some threats. We need to make sure we're protecting against these threats. And I looked, verse 14, and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. In other words, I know that there's something deep inside of you that, that just you're, you are scared and you are afraid that you don't have what it takes to make it, to make it to that goal, to that dream, to that objective, to kick that habit, to do that consistent daily reading, that consistent daily praying. I know that you don't feel like you have that, but the good news is, the good news is, is this doesn't depend on you. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Here's the entire sermon. We focus on the product of our obedience. Nehemiah and God calls us to focus on the process of obedience. We focus on the product, the end result. And as soon as I feel like that end result is no longer achievable, attainable, or at least achievable and attainable in the context, in the time frame, in the way that I thought that that was going to be achieved, I all of a sudden lose sight and get tired. But Nehemiah was committed to the process, knowing that God was the only one who could bring the product. That his goal was to focus on the process in the meantime. You see what happens in Nehemiah is there's this threat, and as this threat again is hitting, everybody's saying, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? And many of us, we revert to one side or the other. We revert to, okay, I'm either going to do exactly and only, I'm going to do exactly and only what God's called me to do. I'm going to fight this battle, fight this battle, fight this battle, fight this battle. But we forget the Lord our God. Or we decide not to fight anymore and say, God, will you just deliver me from this? I'm done fighting. I'm tired of fighting. I can't fight anymore. But Nehemiah loved the process. And he was dependent on God for the product. 
Watch what continues to happen. Watch the recurring, repetitive nature of the language. That he did this practical and prayed to God for dependency. Did this practical and prayed to God for dependency. Continues over and over. Here's how the, the rest of this goes. Verse 14, we'll read that last part. Remember the Lord our God who was great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Jerusalem who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each laborer on the work with one hand held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he was built. He was committed to the process. He says, we can't ignore this threat. We can't ignore this existential threat. But we can't, con- con- in- in- we can't interface with that threat in a way that really causes us to be distracted from this work. That this is the process God has us to. Verse 20. In the place... Where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. I feel like about this point, there's got to be somebody in Nehemiah's team, as there probably is in every team, who's kind of the, I don't know, skeptic, realist, who says, you know, Nehemiah, I don't know if, if you just you know, read your own verses right there or not. But you're calling us to carry these swords, to carry these shields, to carry this armor. And you're setting, it up, setting us up strategically in a way that if they attack, we will be ready for the attack. Nehemiah would say, yeah. Well, Nehemiah, I don't know if you heard, but on the, the end of that, what you said was that we'll sound the trumpets, we'll all converge to one particular point, and from that particular point, we will fight. We will fight for our sons, our daughters, our wives, our families, our homes. You know, I would say, yeah, but, but, but Nehemiah, you also just said that God's going to fight for you. So if God's going to fight for us, why do we carry these shields? If God's going to fight for us, why do we carry these swords? If God's going to fight for us, why are we strategically placed around the city? Because that is the process of obedience. That you are called to do what you can do, and the result is dependent on God. You see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. When we focus on the result, we think we have the power to accomplish the result. But it's the process that God is interested in. And engaged in. Let's take this out of Nehemiah for a second. This is what Jesus said. He's talking to some of his early disciples. He sees them fishing. And he knows that ultimately the product of their life, the outer working of of the gospel taking root in their life. Is that they will one day change the world. They will people who they were they will help people who have no faith to become people of faith. They will become fishers of men, as he said it. Right now you're fishing for fish, but someday you're going to be fishers of men. But you know what he said to them? Follow me, process, and I will make you fishers of men, product. Your job is to follow me, 
And in that process, it's my job to make you fishers of men. It's not your job to figure out how in following me I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's simply your job to follow me. In the following, you will become that which you hope to be. But it's not for that end result of the product. It is engaged in the obedience of the process. John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he said, man, I am like the vine and you are like the branches. Anyone who remains in me, process, I am remaining in God, I am remaining in his word, I am remaining in fellowship, I am remaining in prayer, I am remaining in obedience to what he has called me to do. Anyone who remains in me, in me will bear much fruit product. That the product is the result of the process, but the process is the focus of the follower. Here's what continues in Nehemiah, and here's why I love where this gets to. He says, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. You guys come back here, that they may be a guard for us by, by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor my men of the guard who followed me, none of us, we were so committed to the process, that none of us took our clothes off. And each kept his weapon at his right hand. I mean, we're just engaged in this process that this is what God has called us to do. We're just engaged in this process that this is what God has called us to do. We're just engaged in this process that this is what God has called us to do. Let me ask you this. How many of us felt a calling from God of what we were supposed to do, who we were supposed to be, and what we were supposed to do for his name, for his glory, and for his kingdom? <clears throat> But we got more wrapped up in the possibility of accomplishing the goal or the product that we totally lost obedience to the process, never realizing that the process was the point the entire time. You see, if God is a business, then we would know that our products are simply the result of our processes. And if you want different pro pros products, You've got to have different processes. You have to have different inputs to get different outputs. And what's interesting to me about the God space specifically is that God ultimately wants a relationship with us. Right? This was the entire understanding of Jesus. Was that we, in and of ourselves, are fundamentally sinful. For my, you know, three-year-old right now, no one has to teach him to be selfish. For my five-year-old, no one has to teach her to be selfish. That is innate inside of them. They have something inside of them that wants self and self-exclusively. We become a modernized, older version of that with a better social filter. But that's its core. That's who we are. And God, in his, in his holiness saw us incapable of making ourselves not that. We can become a better version of that, but we cannot rid ourselves completely of that. And so he saw that. He saw our sinfulness in his holiness. And what he did was instead of saying, oh, my gosh, you're sinful, get away from me, he said, no, 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 I love you so much. I love you to the point that in spite of your sinfulness and your incapability of unsinning yourself, I am going to send my son to die for you. Because this is what happens. In any sin that happens, there has to be a payment for that sin. There has to be a, be a some way to clean that mess up. 
But no matter how again hard we clean, we can't unclean ourselves. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to transactionally forgive us, to justify us, and to make us sinless and forgiven. But it's better than that. Because he then calls us his sons and his daughters. He then calls us to be his people. He then calls us and uses that as a way to leverage and lean into relationship with us. And isn't this true about relationships? The goal of the relationship is never the product. The goal of the relationship is always the process. The goal of the relationship is never the product. It's always the process. And if you don't believe that, um, then fellas, on your next date night, which I understand might be a weird thing, because you know, especially if you're online, you're not. You're like date night. I don't even. We don't even go anywhere. We haven't been on a date in forever. Okay. So the next time that you go on a date, um, I want you to maybe it's going to be in your front yard. Okay. And you're going to have a picnic, and you've got this, you know, nice, you know, blanket, and you've laid it all out, and you've got this basket, and you, you know, man, you just killed the peanut butter and jelly game that you, you know, shoved in this little like baggie and you zipped it up and you have this whole date and this whole thing planned, okay? This is how I know that we know that relationships are about the process because no one goes on that date and says, man, let me tell you why I did this. Because ultimately someday, ultimately someday, I want people to think of me as a good husband. I want to have a good, healthy relationship in 30 years. That is true. We do want that. That is a goal that is the goal but here's what we know we do it to enjoy the other person not because we're trying to accomplish a goal through the other person no one would sit down with their husband or with their wife and say man the only reason I'm on this date is because you are a means to an end to which I am the end of no one would say man let me just tell you I love you but what I really am trying to do is create an objective through you The reason you do that is because you love the person, you care about the person, you want to spend time with the person. You enjoy the process of the relationship that ultimately a happy marriage is not the destination. It is the result of the process of enjoying and loving and caring about and caring for one another, even sometimes when it's very difficult and it takes a lot of selflessness. Here's the point. What if... Our level of resiliency was not about accomplishing something, but so deeply enjoying and loving God in the process that the goal was not to achieve, but the goal was to enjoy and engage God on a daily basis. That takes it from, I'm going to take this year and I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And as soon as I start to get behind in a way that I don't feel like I can actually catch up, I just kind of stop and I fall off. But if the goal is to enjoy one another, to spend time with one another, then what you do is you re-engage in that process. Again, husband and wife. I don't know anybody that set up New Year's goal. You know, we're going we're gonna to go on a date night every single week. And you miss three weeks and you're like, oh, no date, night, date nights for the year. You know, <clears throat> sorry, I know it's April, but I can't accomplish the goal. New Year's, you know, resolution, it's done for. What do you do? You realize, oh, man, I've neglected this. I care about you. Let's spend some time together. Here's all I'm saying. 
for many of us, we give up too much on the calling of God on our life. We give up too much of the calling of God on this season. Simply because we fall in love with the product and not the process. We fall in love with a spiritual objective as opposed to spiritual obedience. We fall in love with enjoying the accomplishment more than enjoying the person and the, the person of Jesus and the work that he's doing in our lives. And let me just give you one quick tip kind of towards the end of this. What I found true in my life is how I know I've made the transition from the process or from the product to the process to enjoying God in the daily of life, in the obedience of life, is when I inevitably fall short of what God's called me to and who God's called me to be. When that sin that I promised I would never do again, I re-engage in. When I'm at the point where I just, I, I, I want to give up. When I'm at the point where I get frustrated. When I get to the point where I'm overwhelmed. And I made this declaration to God, but I have not lived up to it. When I fail, when I underperform, I do not say I have failed. I realize I have learned. It is a growth mindset that is wrapped in the process of resiliency. Because if I'm only focused on the objective, what inevitably happens is I've failed because I can no longer reach that objective. But if the goal is enjoying and engaging in the process, I have just learned something that is a great key indicator how to not fail again. That's a new guardrail in my life. That's a new thought in my life. That's a new thing I need to know how to jump back from and bounce back from. You see, again, we get so wrapped up and I can't achieve, I can't achieve, I can't achieve. What if those things that we're trying to achieve were never even the thing that God called us to achieve? It was just a result of the process and we were engaged in the process and God just called us to learn and be obedient to him in the process. So let me just make this real personal because a lot of this has been kind of in theory. What's the thing for you that God has called you to do that you have given up on because you no longer think it's accomplishable? What's the thing for you that you know God has called you to do, that you have given up on, abandoned, and you might not even said it out loud. Like you haven't told anybody, you haven't told your accountability partner, you haven't told your community group, but deep down internally, you have given up on. And it's not because God has discontinued to call you towards that. It's simply because of the fact that you feel like that thing that God's called you to is no longer accomplishable, so you have no longer engaged in the process. You fell in love with the product, not with the process. You fell in love with the goal of spirituality and forgot the person of Jesus. What's the thing for you that God has called you to do that you have given up on because you no longer feel it's accomplishable? And what if, what if, what if the calling of God was the process? Because Nehemiah realized I'm going to focus on the process. <clears throat> we got this threat. We're just going to guard against it. We're getting tired. In fact, we're getting so tired, and at this point, we got to build with one hand and hold a sword with the other hand, hold a shield with the other hand. But I'm engaged in the process. I'm engaged in the process. And I know, God, I don't have control 
And so we're going to blow this horn, and this is our part of obedience in the process. But, God, ultimately you're going to be the one who fights for us. You're going to be the one who gives us the strength. You're going to be the one who's able to clear the rubble and rebuild the wall in our lives. God, I'm going to do what you have called me to do. And I'm going to trust the product of that process to only you, which only you can do. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would make us into a group of people who is more in love with you than the thing that you're, accomplishing, you're calling us to accomplish. That we're more in love with obedience as a daily process, with enjoying you as a daily process, than we are of accomplishing the results of that process. God, we live in a world that's results-driven and results-oriented. But you have called your people to be obedient to the daily. Knowing that that product is up to you and that product is simply a result of our obedience to the process. God, I pray for every single person who deep down, they've given up. They've given up hope. They've given up belief. Because somewhere in the middle, what started strong met resistance and opposition. Oh. Punch somebody? And the Which ultimate one? product, the ultimate Surprise. goal that we were trying to achieve seemed unachievable. But God, I pray that you would help us to know you never called us to be the ones who make ourselves fishers of men. You simply called us to follow you. You never gave us the ability to bear much fruit. You simply called us to engage in the process of remaining in you. Help us to engage with you, to enjoy you, to spend time with you, to be obedient to you. Jesus, because you gave your life not simply for a transaction, but for a relationship, and that is a relationship that we refuse to disengage from, no matter how unlikely the product seems. So would you help us simply on the things and the dreams and the callings that we have given up on because they no longer seem accomplishable? Would you help us to fall more in love with the process of following you every single day, King Jesus? And we are going to trust you to do what only you can do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.